welcome to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. Back to you this week with a pre-Thanksgiving episode. Last week, we enjoyed reminiscing about our one-year anniversary, and now we are into year two, and we are back with our regularly scheduled programming of politics. Today, we are joined by Don Samuels. Samuels served on the Minneapolis City Council from 2003 to 2014, and Samuels drew a lot of attention when he challenged Congresswoman Ilhan Omar for the 5th Congressional District back in 2022, receiving notable endorsements within the DFL world and putting up a great fight coming just under 2,500 votes shy in the primary race. Recently, Samuels launched a second attempt against Congresswoman Omar, where he hopes to come out on top in 2024. Today, we are going to break down the 2022 election and what changes Samuel is making in the 2024 rematch. We are also going to be breaking down some of the major policy areas where Samuels and Omar differ and what priorities he will be pushing on the campaign trail this time around. We will end the show by discussing yet another rough week in our Pick'ems League and what we are most excited about for Thanksgiving, which happens to be my favorite holiday. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are very excited today to be joined by Don Samuels, who is challenging Congressman Omar in the primary for Congress in the 5th Congressional District. Don, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Michael, and it's great to be with you and Becky and, and your audience. Just for some background, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your journey, how you, how you got to uh, serving in public office and then now running again for Congress in the 5th Congressional District. Yeah, well, I, you know, I came to the United States in 1970 and uh, at age 20, and I was a um, uh, low-income kid coming in to try to get into the middle class and have a good life, future. Uh, but I was really inspired by Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. I observed that from a distance, and so I... The minute I graduated from college, I joined the first, the nearest black Baptist church trying to join the, the movement. And so I've, I've been on that path and uh, I had made a commitment to live in low income communities, no matter how far I got in life. And uh, so that's how I ended up living in North Minneapolis. My wife agreed to join me in that, married her 27 years ago. And um, so uh, in 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 doing that, um, our lives changed. <laughs> I, I she she now leads. Uh, she changed her career from um, from a business consultant to uh, running a nonprofit for North the North Side Achievement Zone, modeled after the Harlem Children's Zone. And I went into public uh, service, um, leaving my job as a toy designer inventor. And uh, so we, it changed our lives. When the needs around us just propelled us into public service. And that's how I went into the city council and then the school board. I ran for mayor and then um, went to the school board and then led a nonprofit for a few years since then. Um, uh, and finally uh, running for Congress. Your run for Congress in 2008. 22, surprised a lot of people, particularly how close it was. When you filed, you filed in March, you got your campaign going in April. Mm -hmm. Pretty late to challenge yeah. an incumbent, and you, you were active at the DFL convention, and then in the primary, it was a very close race. Congresswoman Omar defeated you by just two points, or 
2,466 votes out of over 112,000 cast. This time you're announcing your campaign a little earlier. Yes. Um, what did you learn from announcing maybe a little bit late in, in 2022 that you think will help you this time around announcing a lot earlier? And I would say probably in a more normal kind of time frame. Yeah. Well, you know, I was waiting for someone to step up. I, 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 I knew that a lot of people were dissatisfied with her performance, um, but people just didn't want to <laughs> take her on. You know, 98% of incumbents keep their seats. And, um, and she was a formidable as a well-known character uh, nationally. And, uh, and I think people felt that it would be a nasty race, quite frankly. And um, the, 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 her part of the political spectrum tends to be kind of heavy in the Twitterverse, and people, people didn't want to do that. And so I waited and waited, and nobody jumped in. So finally, I came in. By then, the caucuses were over, and the convention was upon us. And so this time, we're doubling our, our, our campaign time. And um, and all of our staff is on board already. Not well. Some of the younger people are not. They're gone on to different things. But the entire vendor team, my campaign manager, my PR person, my fundraiser people, all of those people are back. So we don't have to ramp up again. And then um, people who didn't believe the last time because I started out at twenty eight percent name recognition. She was at ninety eight. So you know, came within two points. So they said, wow, if you could do that without my help, I know with my help you can win. And then, of course, she hasn't helped herself much over the last year either. So it's a good place to be as a candidate. Have the issues changed a lot from the last time you ran? It seems that public safety was much more of a out front issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe not, and I would like to get your context on that, but it seems that it's still a little bit of public safety, but foreign policy and what's going on in the yeah. Middle East may have thrust itself out there a bit more. So I'd give some background for our listeners and give it from your perspective in terms of where, what the issues were then and where mm -hmm. you think the issues are now in the race. Well, last time, you know, I voted, I, I made public safety my primary issue. Um, the violence was still hot. Um, when I was being interviewed by people, I live in, you know, the challenged parts of town, part of town. So during my interviews on Zoom, like we are, or on social media, uh, like we are now, people would actually hear gunshots in the background. I mean, it was like that. Now things have settled down a little, but we're still at pre-pandemic levels, and the the, the the fallout of all that violence still haunt us. So people are still not going downtown to shop and for entertainment as, as and to work as they did before because, you know, people are still worried. Uh, Lake Street, which was where the big uh, the big uh, riots happened, you know, there's still empty storefronts. Stores are still boarded up in what we our uptown area. And, and people are still not investing and rushing back in. And of course, a lot of people left and some people are wondering if they should leave. So, uh, and then of course they can't get cops. We're, we, we had 880 cops before and now we have 530 or something like that. So, you know, we don't have enough police officers. So 
guys are just casually committing crimes and walking, ambling away <laughs> instead of running. So yes, crime is still an issue. But of course, the international issues risen with the Russian crisis and now the Israeli crisis and um, and the world is looking for resonance of uh, an answer or an analysis that seems to bring have hope rather than in, in increasing the the divisiveness of the whole thing and uh, and and our my opponent again has kind of struck out a, 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 a staked out a, a kind of a one-sided um, view on this whole position on this whole thing as she tends to um, and so there the, again our district is kind of roiled in anxiety over this we have a lot of Muslim people here a lot of Jewish people and uh, we can't afford to have someone, someone picking a side, per se. Now, we'll, we'll certainly we're going to chat about some of your policy differences. But one thing I do want to touch on is you've suggested that Congresswoman Omar may try to portray you as somebody looking to dismantle a progressive agenda. Can you give us a little bit of, you know, obviously there is a spectrum in the Democratic Party, just like there is in the Republican Party. But what's an issue or two that you actually agree with uh, Congresswoman Omar? On. Yeah, we agree on, well, first of all, on this very divisive issue, we agree that children shouldn't be killed and women and that the devastation we see on TV in our first social media war is unacceptable and it must end now. We agree on that. We agree on a, a woman's right to uh, choose what to do with her own body and that government shouldn't be interfering in that. We agree on LGBTQ rights. We agree on universal health care. We agree on, I would assume, on uh, that DACA uh, young people should, um, we should fulfill our promise to them. Uh, so we agree on immigration. Um, so, you know, on all the basic uh, democratic issues, we do agree. We disagree on how we talk about things, uh, how we build coalition, how uh, how we treat our friends and how we exacerbate the relationships with our opponents uh it's a there's a lot of stylistic difference that um there's an exhausted majority out there they're not they're turning off their TVs their people are not talking to their friends for, classmates are not talking to each other and family members are just thanksgiving's coming up and people are worried that you know it's something's going to break out. So then politicians and leaders don't need to exacerbate that. People need to begin to have talking points that are healing, that, that bring people together rather than pull them apart. Um, you were quoted recently or in a, I believe it was a Star Tribune article by saying people sometimes, quote, mistake her opposition, opposition, oppositional nature and divisive nature for someone who's speaking truth to power when in fact she's misusing her power or not using power to make change. I, I think in a lot, there is a lot of that frustration when it comes to um, what members of Congress are, are vocalizing but not enacting, especially when it comes to some of this foreign policy. And in particular, like you mentioned, the war between Israel and Hamas is is certainly going to be a top issue um, going forward. Can you speak a little bit to maybe how your approach on this policy would differ than Congresswoman Omar's? Yeah. So the United States is perceived as an honest broker in most international conflicts, and certainly in the Middle East, 
President Carter, President Clinton, President Bush even, um, was seen as someone who could bring both sides together and, um, and, and have them compromise to a point where they could end with a, a fair uh, solution. And this Middle Eastern problem is one of the toughest in the world. And um, there are deep feelings, and, um, and it seems to be unsolvable. And so we can't afford to pour gas on that flame. We have to maintain our objectivity. We have to express outrage at, um, at injustice on any side. We have to remember that our number one allies are justice <laughs> and peace. And if we keep that true north, hold that true north up, not this side or that side, but justice or peace. And Israel is our ally to the degree that it has held up these factors as a priority. Not because white people are there, not because um, Jews are there. They're our ally because there are democratic presence, a democratic presence in that area. They are, they have values that sound a lot like ours. And and so they're not our friends because they they look like us or are like us. They 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 have our values, right? And so we hold that up, and we have to remember that. And 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 when we hold those values up and those truths up and those those um, those goals up, then people can see us as fair rather than just picking sides. Now, over the summer, uh, Congresswoman Omar was um, voted by House Republicans to be removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee. Obviously, this is an important committee with everything that is going on on the global stage with conflicts uh, in Ukraine and Israel and and so many places and so many conflicts that are going on. Um, what are your thoughts about that, of, of her being removed and, and, you know, not having that voice from Minnesota, but also just, um, you know, from a Democrat sitting on that committee that can represent um, different policy issue areas. Yeah, it goes to show you uh, what happens when you are have a di- you're a divisive person. You gradually get painted into a smaller and smaller car- corner where you have less influence and less um, opportunity to be a voice for your constituents, right? And so there you have the Republicans now are taking her out of our voice out of the equation, and and even within the party, she voted against the infrastructure bill. She voted against Russian sanctions. She voted against Ru- Turkey's sanctions, and 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 now in the Israeli conflict, she is not trying to w- work towards consensus, but being vocally outside of the room where it happens, um, uh, staking out her own personal position. So. So, so then, when the time comes for her to represent us, to get to get concessions for the district, even our side are going to look at her like, "Well, where were you on the infrastructure bill when we needed you? Where were you on this the the, the Russian sanctions when you we needed you? Uh, you think we're going to help you now?" So she's building up a a deep well of resentments on both sides of the aisle. So that when the time comes for our issues to be to be raised and represented, 
they're going to be at risk. Are we at a point, and, and one of the things that Becky and I have tried to do on this podcast is have good conversations with people. Are we at a point in politics right now where it's, it is more, in some ways, beneficial to candidates to be divisive, to be driving clicks, to be engaging and speaking only to social media and echo chamber? Because it just seems that it's been real pattern with that. And that's one of the things that Becky and I have tried to do on this podcast, sir, is, is to have discussions and give everybody a chance to speak. But one thing we've noted is that these conversations sometimes have a tendency to not uh, reflect what's out there on social media. And, and I think as you were talking about your style and your approach, it seems to be about speaking truth, but not being as divisive and not being as antagonistic with all sides. I don't think whether it's a, a referee at a sporting event or a member of Congress, I don't think you can succeed if you're ticking off everyone on every side all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it seems that what I've heard from a lot of people in the, the 5th Congressional District, and again, I live in Egan, so I, I don't live in the 5th Congressional District, but what's been the theme of a lot of people in their, in their criticism of Congresswoman Omar is that divisiveness and, and that antagonistic style is what she has a tendency to lead with. Now, you will, of course, hear the response saying, if I'm angry, why aren't you kind of thing? So it's a little bit of a, a trap. But mm -hmm. Your style and your approach seems to be much more different. On the issues, it seems that you and Congresswoman Over are relatively in agreement. You would have maybe voted some different on maybe the infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. But stylistically, it's just, it's, it seems to be more that your approach is just more about coalition building and bringing as many voices to the table rather than being as divisive. Is that a fair way to describe it? That's a fair way to describe it. So, for instance, uh, locally, right, she opposed, uh, everybody was upset that the police had choked out, basically, uh, uh, George Floyd, and that this was a pattern, uh, that it needed to stop, right? So young people are thinking, okay, they, they were a lot, le lot less tolerant, right? They, they were more demanding of change which is as a, a place we need to hear their voices. And then there were angry people who felt you should burn things down, right? So all of that sentiment is fomenting out there. People are, people are looking for now, okay, what do we do? And then there was this marginal voice within the Democratic parties, Democratic socialists are called, who, who said we should ab abolish police. Get rid of all police. Well, as I said, I, I, I maybe not have said it yet, but I live in the most challenged part of town. We here, with where the black folks live, we knew that we needed police, right? So when she took on the mayor in public at a, at a press conference outside of City Hall, vote for anybody but this guy, right? This is the mayor that she's going to have to work with. Mm -hmm. Once she gets elected, and then and let's get rid of police. And then when a President Obama said, you know, it's unfortunate phrase, um, to abolish the police is an unfortunate catchphrase that is actually compromising police reform. She snapped back at Obama. It's not a catchphrase, it's a policy demand, right? So she takes on everybody, and, it, and for some people who are more naive on the issues, um, it's kind of like, wow, she took on this this small, diminutive woman takes on Obama. She takes on Biden. She she's speaking truth to power. 
And so if you are looking for catharsis, right, this might be attractive to you, but it doesn't get things done. Because guess what? You're going to need Obama. You're going to need Biden. You're going to need the mayor. You're gonna, you can't just piss everybody off and then, you know, say, I told them, right? And that's the I told them politics that's going on now. And it is worse in seats that are secure because people think that they can do anything because they're going to get reelected because they live in a district that is dominated by their party. And, and, and incumbents win, and, and so they, they can do anything they want and stoke that partisan kind of uh, divisive style. You see it on the right, and you see it on the left, and you know on the right, and in many cases, it's driven by, uh, by uh, gerrymandering and the security, district security that that, that has created. And and then of course social media has also led into that, fed into that. But it's secure districts, social media, and and, um, and just the the time we're in where people are scared, and um, and it plays on fear, and it and gets people elected by people's anger and fear. Um, folks like you mentioned, really like to have elected officials who not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Um, I spent three years uh, out in Washington, D.C., working in Congressman Emmer's office. Um, we had him on the podcast, and he really emphasized how he believes working in Congress is a customer service job. I know you've been critical about Congresswoman Omar's lack of town halls, cons uh, constituent services. Um, speak a little bit to you why you believe that's so important and, and how you would um, make changes if you're elected. Yeah, so I I came into office, you know, I'm a, I was a designer. I was a successful designer. I was happy with my career and but I I was living in the most challenged neighborhood and just seeing the inequity of how services were delivered and simply because we had the vote, lowest voter turnout in the 5th ward when 2000 people vote in an election. 12,000 vote in the 13th ward. So if you're mayor and you you know where your votes are coming from, you're not going to lose anything from by neglecting people here. They don't complain that much, they don't vote that much, you know. And so over and over again we get neglected in communities like mine. And it was that that drove me to run for office. So right away I put I, I instead of having a simple uh, um, business card. I made a twofold business card, and when you open it, inside is the name and contact information of every council member, of the mayor, of the governor, and the police chief. It's like call these people, and if you call my office and I don't answer you in 24 hours, call all of them and tell them Don Samuels is my council member. He is not responding to me. Please help me because I have a a lackluster, no good council member. And so I, I forced people to make me accountable. I'm coming from the business sector now, where you better deliver that thing. You got a job to design something, and it must be delivered in a, uh, in a week or two at a specific date and time for a meeting. You better deliver it. And so to see 
government not be responsive like that to the people who pay them. It is offensive to me. And to not be responsive and available to those people, to, to meet with them and find out what their concerns are and to answer their tough questions, to not get back to people on the phone. Who do you think you are? And who do you think you're working for? You're not cute enough. You don't dress well enough. Nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. I, I completely agree. I think that's it. blown away by that answer, I got to say. Um, and obviously the passion that you have for public service and for your role as serving the constituents um, of many, whether it's Minneapolis or the 5th Congressional District certainly comes through. Now, in 2022, we did not see any debates between you and Congresswoman Omar. Do you think that's something that um, we will get the opportunity to see this time? Because got to say, I'd love to see some yeah. of that fiery uh, chatter on the stage with Congresswoman Omar. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I wanted to debate. You know, I, I'm, I'm a debate champion from high school, so <laughs> I love debating. And so we tried our best with through several organizations to get Congresswoman Omar to debate. But, you know, just like the town halls, she avoids public contact, right? And by the way, even in her town halls, you have to get a ticket and they get sold out. And then the answers have to get, the questions have to get filtered, and, you know, all of that. And so <laughs> I'm ready for a debate anytime. We've started early now, so there's not a, a timing issue. Congresswoman Omar, Set the debate times. You pick the debate times. You pick the venue for the debates, just as long as it's open to everyone. And I will show up. I'm ready. Thank you. Oh, I was just going to say, um, in my some of my history, if if some of those uh, like WCCO or any news outlets or anybody offers to do a debate, sometimes if you challenge them, I want that time, whether he she shows up or not. Sometimes they'll give it to you. So, uh, okay, you deserve you deserve your time. Um, I do want to just real quick hit on um, you had some incredibly notable um, endorsements uh, from your last run for office, and you know I, I was looking at your website earlier. We've got former DFL chairs Brian Melendez and Mike Catch. We've got unions. I mean, up the wazoo. Star Tribune or endorsed you. We've got Jacob Fry. We've got you know mayors of Golden Valley, New Hope, St. Louis Park, Edina, members of the city council. Speak a little bit to what do you believe your message is resonating with these folks, and why that you know some of these. I have to imagine it's not always easy for current electeds to put their you know to put their neck out and endorse a challenger to a sitting incumbent. Yeah, you know I I I think. Uh... It is, it is difficult for people to come on board, and um, but you know people want people. There's a consensus. People, especially politicians, they know what good polit politicians look like, right? They're doing the work. They are scandalized by this, uh, and um, and so um, and they're looking at in contrast what I have done. I have relationships with people. I. I am collaborative. You know, I have a track record as three terms as a council member and one term as a school board um, member. So people have the, a, a, a strong visual of the contrast and they know 
that when I go to Congress, I'll be talking to them. The conversation will continue because the conversations already exist. And in fact, um, if you notice, uh, the incumbent usually gets the endorsements from politicians, right? But none, no senator from the from the state does endorsing her. Um, none of her peers are endorsing her from the state. So that tells you something right there. Usually, it's a it's like falling off a log. So that that divisiveness, that lack of collaboration, um, she's paying the price for that. And I, and as a candidate, I'm benefiting from it. Unfortunately, uh, for the district, but a vote for me would change that. Your approach seems to be very in-district, local-focused. As the phrase, I think it was Tip O'Neill who famously said that all politics is local. Mm-hmm. It seems that you have a very local-driven approach, that you look at some of the endorsements that you received in your past campaign and what your focus is on right now. Although there is a foreign policy aspect of this race, your career is very much driven in local, what you're seeing and what you're observing in your neighborhood and in the district where you live. And on a side note related to that, there was, when you ran in 2022, when you ran the last time, there was some outside groups that weren't as supportive as you of your campaign that could have been. And I think it surprised a lot of people that Mm -hmm. the the outside groups, some of those, there were numerous pro-Israel political action committees that just didn't step up and, and back you. And Again, I think you're a candidate that's driven very local, driven specifically to talk about what's going on in your neighborhood and local issues. But this time around, do you expect and have an expectation that your campaign, because how close you got the last time, is going to attract some of those outside resources where folks are going to see that this is a race that's worth investing in? Yeah, I think the last campaign, people looked at Antone, who ran before me, and me, and said, okay, another black guy, middle class, um, African-American, professional guy. It's it's a cookie-cutter guy. And the last guy lost by 20 points. So this is going to be another cookie-cutter 20-point loss. What they didn't know is that I did have much deeper roots in the community, a lot more recognition, a lot of trust, and um, that I was, in fact, the exact opposite of Ilhan in my style and the perfect person to run against her. And so they withheld their support, and um, but now they saw that with their help, I would have won. So I that help is already starting to, people are, are apologizing. People apologize after the, the race and, um, and they're coming on board. In the presidential race, there's been a lot of criticism about Joe Biden, some of his age. There's a congressman from Minnesota who is right now seeking the Democratic nomination for president. Yeah. Who are you? Where are you in the race for president? Related to Biden and your hopes for what the outcome is in the next presidential election. Yeah, you know, I came to politics at 50 years old, right? So I'm not a politician. Um, People are saying I'm old. That makes me feel good because I'm going to turn 50 next month. So I feel better. (laughs) I mean, that's really, that makes me feel good. So keep going, sir. Yeah, so you can imagine all your life in a career in private industry designing something, running departments, um, having your own small business, add to your age. 
before you even thought about politics, yep. <laughs> right? So when I went into the city council, that was the first time I had been in a city city council hall uh, uh, space ever in my life. The day I started uh, as a council member, that's how little I was involved in politics. The presidential race. You yes. have a yeah. member of Congress from Minnesota yeah. who is uh, seeking the Democratic nomination for President Dean Phillips. We've interviewed him on this podcast, yeah. uh, but Biden is the, the clear frontrunner for the nomination. I just yeah. want to get your perspective on where you're at in the presidential race. Yeah, I, I certainly support President Biden. Um, you know, I'm not as upset as some people about uh, Dean getting into the race. I think the Republicans have a bunch of people trying to get in. They're kind of criticizing Trump some. So, you know, I think um, I don't think Dean is going to criticize Biden to the, more than the, the Republicans are. So I don't think he can do that much harm. But I, I do think that um, it, it's he's can't win uh, at this point. I think President Biden has um, shown great effectiveness with the infrastructure bill and all the other the economy and uh, and especially how he's handled international affairs with he's wielding his skill and many, many years of capacity in a masterful way in dealing with international affairs and getting our coalition back of democratic uh, countries and uh, and various groups and and showing again that the United States is back as a leader in the world, a thought leader and a policy leader and um, and a le- and a leader in lending its might to just causes. So, you know, you can't beat that. Now, does he stutter? Yeah, it's he always has. Is he older? Yes. Is yeah, is he is he not walking as you know, stridently as a young dude? Yeah, that's true. But, you know, usually in the way back in history or throughout history, the king or the lo- ruler or the leader was older. It was Kennedy that kind of broke that all up, right? And uh, so we've gotten used to the flashy smile, the youthful gait, and all of that. But that's not necessarily leadership. Leadership is usually in the between the two ears. And uh, Biden has it in drove, and uh, he's a great, great leader, and I think he's got a great term left in him. Discuss for a moment how the campaign's going since you got you announced just uh, a little over a week ago. I think you announced, yeah. and, and how's the campaign going, fundraising, operation-wise? You, you mentioned it to be at the onset that you had some staff in place, but mm-hmm. operationally, how are things going? Going really, really well. Um, we, we, I think when we have our first report, you're going to be blown away by how much money we've raised. It's looking great. The response has been like, it's, it's like shaking a tree in the late part of the season. And all the fruit are ripe, and they're just falling to the ground. That's uh, um, that's how it is. Uh, uh, people are really, you know, the combination of my how close I came, of Ilhan not learning lessons, and not not improving, not getting better. Um, the combination is just driving people to be more involved this time than they ever have, and. Um, we're we're going to have an incredible uh, campaign. 
Sir, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. You have just been, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and get to talk to you. As we say to all of our guests, we hope you come back. We hope the experience wasn't too painful <laughs> and that you'll come back and, and be a guest. We hope to stay in contact with you throughout the campaign. But again, Will, where can people, your website is donsamuels.com? Donsamuels.com. And, and my PR guy would be very pleased that um, you reminded me and he didn't have to scold me after this that I should mention that. So yeah, it's donsamuels.com and you can donate there, you can volunteer there, and you can keep up to date on the issues from our point of view. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. We hope to stay in contact with you. And if there's other opportunities to come on, we hope you'll consider coming back on. What a pleasure. Great Thanks. to meet you both. Thank you. Becky, we just spoke with Don Samuels, who is challenging Congresswoman Omar in the DFL primary in the 5th Congressional District. Uh, your take on the interview. Um, I will start by saying, wow. I was really blown away by him, by his passion, by his fire, by his you know, reasonable approach to things. And and I think it's kind of comparative of what we see a little bit within the Republican Party, where we have the Lauren Bulberts, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the fiery right wing folks who maybe are a little bit more about getting the sound bites and actually making change and taking action um, towards substantial policy changes. I, I think that seems to be a very substantial frustration for Samuels and a lot within the Democratic Party in the 5th Congressional District that they don't believe they're being represented. They, they don't believe that they're being heard, that they're having the access to Congresswoman Omar, that she's representing them with constituent services within the district. And also they are feeling the repercussions for her being a little ostracized because of her statements. I can only imagine how frustrating that is, um, having a member of Congress who not only is not giving their constituents the access and that that they deserve, but also is out there making things harder for them to make their voices heard. You could tell that fire and passion really is within Samuels. And I was just, I mean, obviously I, I disagree with a lot of policy issues or stances still from from Samuels, but wow, you can really feel that he truly wants to get in there and make a difference. Yes, from a policy standpoint. He seems to be lockstep with Congresswoman Omar. It's just style and approach. And also, there has been a lot of discussion about, and I think there's a pretty clear record of Congresswoman Omar engaging in some anti-Semitic messaging and behavior. I don't believe that Samuels would take that same approach. And so just on like substantive issues, she, he disagreed with some of her votes, particularly on the Biden infrastructure bill and some of the aid packages. But overall, on the kind of the core values and the core issues that are, I think, front and center in the 5th Congressional District race, he's going to vote like Congresswoman Omar. He's not going to be as divisive and as polarizing of a incumbent member of Congress and a political figure. And that gets to, the, I think, the larger question or the larger discussion that we've had, is you can have people that will go to Washington or run for county board, city board, state board, state office, whatever. And what kind of what kind of role will they fill? Will they be the the public servant who engages in meaningful discussions, is focused on getting legislation passed, is building coalitions, is engaging in the politics of the successful politics, which is addition, 
uh, and multiplication, not division and subtraction. And it seems that Samuels is very focused on local issues and how he see what he sees from his neighborhood and what he sees from outside his front window. And that's just a different approach than Congresswoman Omar. And it seems that he is hyper-focused on local issues. And as we discussed, all politics is local. But one of the things that was so surprising was the lack of outside support that came in for Samuels in his campaign last time around. And I don't know what, I did a little bit of reading about, a little bit of reading in preparation for this interview. And I think that there was a perception among some that having a lot of outside groups come in would have maybe a little bit of a counter effect. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as helpful as some people perceived. That being said, Don Samuels ran a very grassroots campaign and came within, if I'm doing my math correctly, 2,466 votes from beating an incumbent. And uh, that surprised a lot of people. It surprised a lot of people. And it makes me think that the environment, I don't know that Congresswoman Omar, and I think Don Samuels articulated that in the interview, I don't know that the environment or some of the behavior that people have criticized her before has changed. So I don't know necessarily that the environment has improved for her. Public safety was a real big issue in the last election cycle, but foreign policy has now come up there. And there's some real contrast between Samuels and Omar on those issues. We'll have to wait and see. But if he seems to be taking this race, not to say he didn't take the race seriously in the past, but he, by all accounts, by announcing earlier, by getting up and running earlier, and looking and contrasting what was there to support him in his last election versus now, this is going to be a real race to watch, an absolute race to watch. I mean, he certainly has has double, essentially double the time, more than double the time uh, for this campaign this time around than last time around. And and so I think there is a lot more. He, he's got his feet wet. He can, you know, what he's learned from the 2022 election. And I do think it will be interesting, as you say, for the inch outside groups, you know, a lot of times some of these groups do like to hedge their bets. Do you necessarily want to go against a sitting congressman, congresswoman, congressman, um, and what that might mean? But I was, I, I am very impressed with the folks within the DFL party who have vocally um, supported Samuels over Omar. We don't see that as much in the Republican Party, I think. But not only does he have a, a impressive list of endorsements already. I think that that will build. I think it is also a really true point that he that he made that it's very telling that neither of the current U.S. senators from the state or the other Democratic members of Congress from the state of Minnesota have endorsed Omar. Usually that's something that's a, a pretty easy endorsement. We see the Republican, you know, Emmer, Stauber, Fishbach, Instead, we see a lot of back and forth cohesion between them. So I do think it is very telling that uh, a lot of those members of the delegation have not um, been vocally backing Omar. So time will tell. He certainly, like I said, it is, I always love anybody who has that passion. He entered the political arena at 50, that he's pushing forward, that he had some time out of the public sector and is, is stepping his foot back in. Um is exciting for him. So it's going to be a race to watch. That certainly, uh, certainly is. I think it's going to be a race to watch. We should also note Samuels is not the only candidate. There are two other Democrats in the race, Air Force veteran Tim Peterson and attorney Sarah Gadd, who are also challenging Omar. So this is going to be a hotly contested race. 
And I'm very proud of the discussion. We're a couple of Republicans from the suburbs. We don't live in Minneapolis. And to have an opportunity to speak to Don Samuels was wonderful. It's always good to have a uh, chat with people who live in different parts of the state, different parties. And I hope that we can talk about him more, talk, have more conversations with him down the road. But it's going to be, in terms of the primaries, I think it's going to be the top race to watch in Minnesota, likely, in the, from a primary perspective. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But uh, thanks for doing that interview, Becky. Thank you for reaching out. It was certainly a, a great get and um, a good conversation. We're not going to have a good conversation right now. Oh. What is going on with your Pick'em League? I blame you, um, largely. I started the day yesterday so strong. Going into the 3 p.m. games, I only had one got one wrong. I was up by two. And then the afternoon, evening games happened. I put my faith in the Vikings because you spoke so strongly and were so passionate about our home team uh, that I decided I was going to want to jump on the bandwagon. I regret. I regret listening to you on that. Yes. At one point yesterday, you had picked up multiple. So I have a nine game lead right now. I have a nine-game lead over you, which is, as I said at the beginning, that's been my real contest. My real contest is to go ahead, is to go with you. Here's the real danger that you're in, Becky, is that looking at the numbers, you could be, you know who just tied you for a second? Mike Zipko. You are currently tied with Mike Zipko for second place. No, let me rephrase that. Yes, you are tied with Mike Zipko for second place. Well, actually, no. I'm in, okay, Spencer Kerr's in first, I'm in second, you and Mike Zipko are tied for third. So you have now not only, you were, not, you were in second for a while, you have now have company in third place. So not only, have you not, not only have you not gained on me, your poor play has, in, has allowed others to catch up and you now have a, a partner and someone else occupying that third place spot. It is true. It is not great. Um, we get it. I'm bad at this. I, I have to do a little public um, embarrassment, though, of our former guest, Dan Winsoda, who, or somebody who knows football a lot better than me, I got to say, Dan, man, rough week. Uh, we, we'll still take you back if you want to come on and uh, chat through why you only got five points this week, but got to do a little public shaming there. I will tell you, there's a lot of season left. So there's a good chance that this is going to get closer. Um, and I, you know, honestly, I hope it does. I'm not going to throw anything, but I hope it does. But it's been fun to do this, and uh, we'll continue to do it. We'll continue to do it as long as we keep doing this podcast. We'll do more football. Speaking of fun, it yes. is Thanksgiving week, my favorite holiday. I hear you're a Thanksgiving guy as well. Your favorite holiday. Yes. I need to start, not to pick a fight, but I thought your favorite holiday would be, okay, let's just tell me, why is Thanksgiving your favorite holiday? Because I love food. Okay. And yes. you eat turkey on Thanksgiving? I do. Okay. So you will be excited about eating turkey on Thanksgiving? I wouldn't say, so here's the deal. I'm excited Here about the mashed potatoes and gravy and stuffing. Turkey is there and I will consume it, but it's the sides for me. Okay. It is the fact that it is the day 
where I get to show up. We have a we have a casual. So I'm going to the in-laws this weekend in Wisconsin or this week in Wisconsin. But even at home and at the in-laws, we're a casual Thanksgiving kind of day. I can wear yoga pants. I can wear the stretchy band. I can eat to my heart's content. Hopefully join the baby for an, an afternoon nap. I just love it. It's a great holiday. It is. It's a great holiday. I, I will be with family, in-laws, excited to spend Thanksgiving. And what I've heard, and I think this is a good thing, speak, dipping into the turkey ham debate, feud, as I would say. Help yourself, can you? Um, I think it was last year at Thanksgiving that they had a ham that they served, that they had also there at Thanksgiving, which is fine. I am pro ham, I am pro turkey, anti ham. What's nice about, and I don't mind there being a ham there because it reinforces the role that it's a backup side dish. It's not a main dish. What's good about that is, is people can fill up on the junk meat of ham and I can have turkey and it works out great. Plus, I can then keep a list of people that are eating ham and remember that and file that away for future reference. Side dishes. I'm a big side dish person too. Yeah. Mashed potatoes, gravy, corn, stuffing, cranberries. Now this is, I don't know if we've discussed this before. Cranberries. I'm a big cranberry in the can, right out of the can, the jello kind of mold, whatever that stuff is. That's my, I love that stuff. I love, I love that kind of cranberry. You? Figures. Jeez, I knew it. And I just cheated up there for you. You could have just really baked did. it. I, um, I'm not a big, you know, fruit with my savory kind of gal. So not super interested. You don't have any cranberry? No. I mean, it will be on the table, but no. But you won't, will it be in berry form or in gel Can. form? Yeah, gel form. Perfect. That's, at least that's going up. I even have, I got the baby uh, uh, pajamas that um, has a pumpkin pie, a turkey, and it's got a canned cranberry. It's adorable. Of course you do. What about pies? D desserts? Uh, I mean, pumpkin. pumpkin. What about what, any apple or anything? Just pumpkin? Uh, I would indulge in apple, but I would prefer pumpkin. It's not really an indulgence to have an <laughs> apple pie. It's not caviar. It's not champ. I'm not. It's <laughs> pie. It's apple pie at Thanksgiving. Are you really anti-fruit? No, no, no. I'm not anti-fruit. Apple pie on any other, other given day has my full attention. But when pumpkin pie is on the table. It has your I full attention. Will other members of your other members of your family, your immediate family and in-laws, how will they approach the cranberry? Will it just sit there and only a couple people have oh, it? Oh, no. I think, I think we got some big cranberry fans. I think I'm no. in the minority. No, I will disclose. I'll be at in-laws. They, they will take a, the cranberries will take a variety of forms. I'm probably the person who loves the kind of gelatinous, the kind of glob of cranberry sauce more than the other stuff. They do a large varieties of them. I like to stick with the traditional one, and that's my favorite to do. I will say a little bit of backstory, just a little political thing. I was down in Iowa in 2004, 2003, 2004, in the, that's when the ramp up was. The Democratic candidates running to challenge George W. Bush in the 2004 election. I was down there over the holidays. It was after Thanksgiving, the absolute best turkey stuffing sandwich I've ever had was at an event for John Kerry. It was a post Thanksgiving, it was right, it was right after Thanksgiving. It was a combination of turkey and then the stuffing, and it was just all mashed together. And there was this little slice of cranberry sauce on top, 
hands down, the best turkey, the best Thanksgiving kind of turkey meal I've ever had was at an event with John, was at a caucus, an Iowa caucus event for John F. Kerry. Can you believe that? No. 20 years and later, I, still standing out. That's impressive. It's still sticking out. And I've always won. I've tried to replicate that sandwich. And I don't think anyone on his staff made it. It was at the, probably where the facility where it was at. I could probably find out where it was and figure out the recipe. But it was just absolutely fantastic. I hope you have a safe travels over the Thanksgiving season. You as well. You're going to be off next week. I am. It's lead up to wedding week. And we should disclose it. So you're going to be off next week. We'll probably do a show. We'll do something. But you're going to be gone because you're getting married. Yes. Well, so I'm technically married. Uh, we did things a little bit backwards, but we're having the wedding. So I've, I've been married since March of 2022. Um, but, you know, write that down, March of still had the, the dream of our big wedding bash. We're kind of the last ones of the friend group to get married. So we are having a dance party. I hope you do not judge me from the horrifically um, not rhythmic uh, dancing that I will do at the wedding. But yeah, it's going to be a good time. Uh, I will be a guest along with my wife. I might live stream or just do some podcast stuff there. I might interview some of your guests. Can I get a list of some of your family members? I can just go around, bring my head, I'll bring my microphone. We've got the the political spectrum in its entirety. I hope it's not a topic there, but wow, wow, do we have far right, far left and everything in between. So I can't wait to interview some of these people. Just get the list of the names and go through and just start talking to people. I want to hear some, I want to come back with a lot of material, a lot of material. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll, I'll I'll talk with you before you get married, even though you are already married, but before that, and and we wish you all the best. Thank you much. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving all. Bye. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcob and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can leave a review or give us a shout out on our website or across all social media platforms at at BBBreakPod. The Breakdown with Broadcob and Becky will return next week. Thank you again for listening.